You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Father God, we choose to put ourselves into the fiery furnace to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice, to be tangible and real transmitters of the kingdom of God, carriers and transmitters and releases of hope and glory to our nation, to our city, to our community and to one another. This morning, Father God, as we worship you, We thank for the beauty, the privilege of being able to worship you as family and community, to be able to belt it out loud and strong, to be able to engage and interact with you. And this morning as we continue in a life and a lifestyle of worship, not a moment or an hour, or a part of a program of worship, but in a lifestyle of worship. You say, Lord, won't you let it burn? Won't you burn in us? But Lord, more importantly, allow us to have the strength of character and resolve to position ourselves, to be willing to say, Lord, burn in me, so that your kingdom may come and manifest not only in me, but through me. In your beautiful name. Amen. Won't you take a seat? We are going to mingle a bit and come back to worship just now and we're going to pray for release and breakthrough. Now just even some of the the words just jump out at me. You know, the this the atmosphere is changing now because the Spirit of the Lord is here. And when people don't understand that the atmosphere is changing, when people don't understand that in a hopeless situation there is hope. I would suggest that because the Spirit of the Lord is not evident whether uh, I understand the omnipotence and the omnipresence of the Spirit of God, but we can block it off from our side and not recognize and honor and respect. Holy Spirit, you are here. Won't you carry on changing the atmosphere around me? Musos, absolutely beautiful. Thank you so, so much. Fan, fantastic. Emma, you can stay until about December 2024. Fantastic. Awesome. Really good. It is a, it is a Latin uh, and privilege. And so I'm wanting to, to share this morning. I'm so, I'm so, you get betwixt and between. You know, you have folk and even Francois at the back. Francois, really good to have you with us, my friend. Thank you. You are just absolutely heroes in the faith and and glorious and just release anointing wherever they go um, and it's so you're so tensible you know just come and bring it on but what I'm wanting to do is just to say even this morning let it be an, a morning and a, of, of, of glory and impartation we had the privilege of being able to go and share in the in the communities yesterday in the um, Claire Oven community as the folks said this morning we fed 790 families yesterday which is just an absolute privilege and blessing but even at the lot, you know, we, we, we had testimonies and breakthrough happened the whole day. And eventually, like, you know, like I was saying to people last night, I, I, I just want people to go home so I can have a glass of wine. No, I'm only joking. I should never say that from the pulpit. 
you know, but we, but we are church of honesty. But, you know, even at, the, even at the last minute, God was still breaking through and there was ministry and there was prophecy and there was beauty. And, and when you open to one receiving and two being able to release, that's the beauty of being Acts 3 believers. When we go from Acts 1 to Acts 2, we're not just confused about the things of God. We don't just have our Holy Spirit soaky mornings in the, in the upper room, but we go out and we give what God has given us. One of the, one of the famous fly guys this morning said that the, the, the beauty is to be able to go and, and release and to give. That is the kingdom of God manifest. That's when you know that you are a true believer. You know, I, somebody might have been to church and they might look beautiful in church, but when they go out and they release, then I go, oh my goodness, they are a, they, they are a Jesus follower, you know. Um, and so that for me is, is, is the, the beauty of it. And so I'm wanting to, to carry on and, and I'm going to recap a tiny bit and then press, press forward. But, but we're on a journey. And, and, and the greatest journey that any believer can have is understanding the love of the Father. If we don't understand the love of the Father and are secure and know our identity and who and whose we are, we can mess up on so many things. John 3.16, For God so loved home groups that He gave everybody a church to go to. Amen. No, nonsense. I was going to say another word, but there's people here I don't really know yet, so I'll be careful. No, it's, it's absolute um, yuck. <laughs> yeah, rubbish. No, for God so loved the church. No, even more yuck. For God so loved the world. And yet so often we think it's all about my home group and me and my church and my Bible study and you know, even my book club. But God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus Christ. And I want you to say, what does a church look like that is, that is riveting, that is redemptive, that is adoptive, that is restorative, that has real life love of God? And that's what I want Real Life Church to look like. A church that reflects the beauty, the power, the radical radiance, the redemptive, glorious love of Jesus Christ. It's far beyond religious structures. The real church, the followers of Jesus, cannot and must never be confined or contained to a structure or an organization called the church. We are, and I'm not minimizing church, I love the church, I give my life for the church but it's because it's a vessel to give my life to Jesus so I'm not minimizing church at all church is the most one of the most important things that we have and it's the most important vehicle that God uses it's, but God has a like Ezekiel we, we sometimes get sent into the world remember I shared about Ezekiel being sent out like Jonah when sometimes the, we, we get called to the world but sometimes God brings the world to us God has a way of leading us into the world and God has a way of leading the world to you. Are you ready for the world that God is leading to you and to me? In Kings 5 verse 1 to 19, the king of Aram had great admiration for Nahum, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. And again, last week I was sharing about, I, I, I get confused, how an enemy army can be given great victories by the Lord. But Naaman was a mighty warrior who suffered from leprosy. And at this time, the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And amongst their captives was a young girl who was given to Naaman's wife as a maid. So here's this young girl who is kidnapped. And we gloss over sentences and verses so quickly, but she's kidnapped. She's taken as a hostage. This is slave trading. And she is given to Naaman's wife as a maid. 
And one, one day the maid girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. We read further on. That Naaman went down to the river Jordan and dipped himself seven times as a man of God had instructed him. And his skin became healthy as that of a young child. And he was healed. The Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood behind, before him and Naaman said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except the God that Stuart serves. He was prophetic. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, Surely as the Lord lives, who am I to serve? I will not accept any gifts. And through, though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elijah refused. The Naaman said, All right, but please allow me to load two of my mules of earth from this place. I'll explain that later. And I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again burn offerings or sacrifice to any other God except the Lord. And I go, Yes! This is what I love! It says, However, may the Lord pardon me in this one small thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the, of the god Rimon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me if I bow too. Go in peace, Elijah says. So Naaman starts at home again. Because friends, if we are offended by the world, we cannot love the world. We cannot love something with one hand and reject it with another. We have the courage of Elijah. Elijah says, bring him to me. Elijah has a creative response to what is happening and going down. He doesn't live in reactionary response. And too many people today, I believe, live in a reactionary response. But a reactionary response doesn't give birth to the creativity of an apostolic, prophetic, life-giving group of people called the church today. And friends, my encouragement this morning is we need to become less reactionary and more embracing. Father, let me not react to my WhatsApps. Uh-oh, how many of you just react to WhatsApp? Da, da, da. You know, except for some of us who don't have WhatsApp anymore. Get behind me, Satan. You know, <laughs> you're not the only one here this morning, uh, but you're the one that I, I saw. Um, you know, the church needs to, honestly, and this might sound harsh, but the church needs to break out of itself it's self-absorption and be able to move into a world and embrace the world. Let us be more absorbed by the world than we are about church structure and church itself. We need to be a people who can give birth to a creative response to what is needed and out, out there. Friends, we cannot live in reaction to a pandemic, to paranoia. We cannot even live in reaction to sin. And where I think I fall short, and if most of us are honest, and it is real life church after all, we cannot even fall short to, or, or, or be reactionary to offense. We need to be able to get over it because he was offended by the king and even by Elijah. And as, as an apostolic and prophetic group of people, we need to have the mind of Christ. And it sounds basic, but Father, let me have your mind. Let me have your love. Let me not respond to the world, but let me transform the world. 
even yesterday, we didn't respond to a need in a community, a, a community that's hungry. We were able to rise up and have a creative response and go out and tangibly love on the people of the community. Friends, my challenge is we, we need to be able to enter into the ache and the pain of the world. We need to be able to go to our Ninevehs. We need to be able to go to the Valley of Dry Bones. I need to be able to go to the places that ache. And I need to be able to say, Oh Lord, won't you allow the, the ache to change me? Won't you allow me to be changed by, the, by, by, by what I experienced out there? Who was it this, this morning? One of the, the Fire and Fragrance ladies was saying, No, I, I can't, I can't, what did, you, what did you say? I can't, I can't unsee what I, I saw. It's so beautiful, it's so profound. When you go there and, you, and, and you're able to have compassion and you're able to ache and the community changes you, when you change by the world around you, you qualify to go and to change the world. And yet so many of us want to change the world, but we are not willing to let the world change us. Because we think for the world to change us, I've got to drop my values. But the reality for, for the world to change me, I've just got to love more like Jesus. And have greater compassion for the world around us. Because everyone can see the ache and the pains, the paranoia of what's happening in the world. We can see it and for most of us we choose to ignore it. It's easy to avoid what's happening out there and set up, no I'm not going to be naughty. It's easy, it's easy for us to just avoid what's happening out there. But most of us don't really ignore it. We pray about it. Because we believe it, right? So, so we, we don't ignore it, we pray about it. So we get together at like, you know, for coffee and home group and prayer group and something. And we, oh Lord, and, we, and we pray about what's happening out there. But are we letting our prayer become an excuse for our procrastination to not allow us to be changed or transformed by the ache and the pain of the world that's out there? Do we have prayer meetings as an excuse to stop the inertia that we just don't go out there and make a difference? Or... To, to give us a, a holy sense, to justify the apathy that we have? Or do we say, Father, won't you allow me to be able to be changed? Now, this past year has profoundly changed me. It, it, you know, I, I am more compassionate. I'm understanding my shortfalls more in this year. I'm understanding my, para, my, my paranoia far more this year because I'm saying, Holy Spirit, won't you allow me to have greater empathy and compassion for a world that you've called me to love. The creativity of heaven will only manifest when we are honest and we embrace a world. How can we change a community that we are not willing to engage with or love? And so in this story we have the king's offense. We have Elijah's courage and we have Naaman's pride. And you can listen on the podcast for, for more of that. Entitlement. You know, we have so many folk have to. I, 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 I I'm used to be convinced that the most entitled people are teenagers who go to private schools. <laughs> you know, they, teenagers who go to private schools are generally the most entitled people around. Now, and then I start to realize, actually, no, people in poor communities are entitled as well. You know, I don't want that chocolate. I want that chocolate. I want this. I want, want that. And then we realize, like, actually, in the church, we become so entitled. As well, and if we're honest, sometimes we ourselves become full of entitlements. 
we always have entitlement in us, as if God owes us anything. You know, I think Naaman got cured of a physical leprosy. I think the church needs to be cured of a leprosy of entitlement. Because Naaman was annoyed. He was peeved. Why didn't he come out to meet me? He asked me to do something. He expected me to be part of my healing. He expected me to walk out my healing. He didn't just come and wave his hand over me and I was healed. He could have made it far quicker and he didn't. He made me go to a dirty river when I come from a region of clean, godly rivers. I had to come here. I had to go do something where I could have done this at home. This is just so unfair. Why do I have to go to a poor community? Why do I have to go to church on Sunday? Why do I have to love the people I don't feel like loving? Why do I have to serve? Because you want to become more like Jesus. And so Naaman humbles himself. He lays down his pride. He washes in the dirty Jordan River. And he washes again. And again. And again. And again. And again, you know where this is going. And again, and again, he washes seven times. And it's in this moment, it's profound for me because Naaman doesn't understand the God stories. No, Naaman didn't go to Bible school. He, he, he didn't hear all these things that you and I know now. He did not know about Moses. He did not know about Joshua. He did not know that the very river that he was standing and getting his healing in is a river that God parted for Joshua. He was ignorant of all of this. He was just obedient. He had no idea that Joshua had been there before and a whole nation had passed through. And that one day Jesus himself would stand in the river Jordan, the same dirty river, and be baptized himself. Because he was oblivious to the greater picture. So I took the king's offense, Elijah's courage. Oh, sorry. But one, of the, but one of the things that encourages me the most in the story is who? Any ideas? You can have two biscuits afterwards. Tracy, no wonder you are my favorite. The servant girl. She rocks. You know, she, she really rocks. It's, a, it's the young servant girl. One day, the servant girl said to her mistress, If only my master. Here is a girl who had been kidnapped from her family. She is in a foreign culture. She is in an unfamiliar situation. She is in social distancing. She is in lockdown. We don't even know how old or how young she is. But in this one moment, here is a young girl who by all accounts has a legitimate reason to be annoyed and isolated and fearful and peeved and upset. Her soul had been crushed. She was devastated by the reality of what's happening around her. She was in a foreign environment and yet she was able to see what nobody else could see. And she chose to believe what nobody else believed. She had faith for Naaman to be able to be healed. 
She wasn't an X1 believer. She wasn't an X2 believer. She was an X3 believer. And so rather than being bitter, she was beholden to God. God, I see you in this situation. I see a hope where there seems to be no hope. I see healing when healing seems to be impossible. I see my God operating and moving. I see the possibilities of God when nobody else sees the possibilities of God. Nobody sees hope for his healing except for a servant girl because she believes in her God. And I start to think about this, this girl. And in my mind, I know exactly what she looks like. But what type of family does she come from? What type of community was she kidnapped out of? What was the testimonies that she heard around the dining room table and around the bride? I know, what type, I know they had bride because I, in my mind, I can see this girl and I can see her family. Now, what had been her struggles? What were her overcomings and what were her, her testimonies? <laughs> what was her dad like? I'm going, oh, Stu, does her dad measure up to me? I'd like to think so. That even in captivity and isolation, even in her lockdown, she had faith. She had been brought up well. She had compassion for her captors. She had compassion for the people that were her Ninevehs. She, she was able to go to the Valley of Dry Bones. She believed that God can operate in her world. She must have had a war chest of testimonies. I've said this so many times before. How many of you want to be absolutely stretched by God? How many of you want to, you know, have, you know, have um, hit, hit rock bottom? How many of you want to hit the wall this week? How many of you want your, testament, your, your finances to be stretched? But here's a young girl who I'm sure has a war chest full of testimonies where she, she's seen the favor of God because she hasn't just lived comfortably. She's lived a hard life. And she has this war chest of testimonies that she goes back to. And the day of Elijah, which was a few years before, Elijah had found himself in a cave. And again, he had been social distancing in his cave. He had been in lockdown. The only difference between him and us is like we're in our home, he's in his cage, and we have to wear a mask. You know, but he was in his cage doing social distancing. And he gets so frustrated and, and, and so moaning about himself that what's his prayer? If only I was dead oh lord if only i said how many of us pray something similar oh lord you know i i i i'll do almost anything i'd rather be dead than have to go through what i'm doing now i'd rather be a b and c rather than have to navigate the journey that i'm on now the the warfare that i'm in now the, how, how hard and frustrating everything is for for me now and so he's in the cave he's saying i would rather be dead because i am all alone and everybody else has left God for idol gods. Everybody else has deserted me. Lord, it's just you and me. How many of us have ever said that prayer? I have. Probably a lot more often than I should. Oh Lord, it's only you and me. If only you would make them understand. If only you would make them compassionate. If only you would make them. Lord, everybody's deserted this dream and this vision that you and I had. Won't you take it from me? And God speaks this word to Elisha in the cave. And he says, no, there are 7,000 other people with you. And Samuel's friends, the most encouraging word 
And maybe this is just for some of us this morning. Is God is saying that you're not alone? It's part of the beauty of family and connecting. But this morning, I really believe that God is saying to some folk here this morning, I'm wanting to tell you that you're not alone. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your struggles, your frustrations, your, hard, your, your, your hurts, your hardship, you are not alone. And I'm not saying it's just because it's you and Jesus in your small corner. I'm saying there are thousands of people that God has around you, that you are not in the same boat, that there is a beauty of unity and community and that you are not alone. I wonder if this servant girl's dad was one of those 7,000 Elijah thought that he was on his own and God said, actually no, there are 7,000 other people who are contending and fighting and are with me and we are not giving up and we're going to have our breakthrough and we're going to make this happen. I wonder if this young girl's mom was in a community that pressed in and made sacrifices and were able to find their testimonies and their breakthrough. And I think if this girl's mom and, I, and this girl's dad, and they are having a braai one Sunday, they're having prager rolls and Greek salad, they're enjoying life on Saturday afternoon, and they get invaded, and their daughter gets taken away, the enemy robs them in the most horrendous way. And I'm trying to say, Lord, what did her mom and dad feel like in that moment? I can't begin to imagine the pain, the suffering, the confusion of God-fearing, God-loving people, a mom and dad and a family who were sold out after God, and yet they were invaded and their daughter, a young girl, was robbed and taken and stolen from them. I wouldn't just be mad, to be honest, I would be pissed off. I'd be so annoyed, I'd be so upset, I'd be so devastated. I cannot even begin to understand it. And sometimes does this become our excuse? Lord, I'm all alone, I give up. Or God, I've been robbed in the most unbelievable way. I tap out of here and say enough is enough and no more. And yet this young girl was able to go through and break through. And I don't know if her family, I don't know whether her community ever saw the greater picture until they were in heaven in eternity. And one day in eternity, they, I get goosebumps now, one day in eternity. Now this is a group of people who did not read the Bible, they did not have the Bible, but they're a group of people who lived out the Bible. And the reality is we get to do both. We get to read the new covenant and we get to live it out and be everything. And one day in heaven, they hear of the influence of their daughter. After all their questions, after all their confusion, after all their hurt, after I would imagine years and years of anguish and frustration. I don't know whether they turned their back on God or for a moment or for, for longer. But in time to come, they were able to go back and, and know what their daughter had done. 
Naaman is healed in the, by Elisha and tries to give him 18 million rand. And Elisha doesn't take a cent. In modern culture, are we willing to go out and do everything for our reward to be given to us in heaven one day? Or do we expect earthly reward? Are we doing it for passion or for paycheck, for pulpit and for platform? Lord, allow me to humble myself that I can be used more by you for the passion of people rather than a pulpit or a paycheck. In modern culture, we reject the people and accept the money. And Elijah says, I choose to reject the money and accept the people. If I'm honest, I will just do both. I see no problem with a win-win. Lord, I will accept the people, but bring the bucks too. You know? Yes, a little bit of balance in this one is, for me would have been like far healthier. I could have lived with that, you know? I want, but Lord, allow me to be more like Elisha. I wish I could find somebody who was able to take both. Um, that, that would be my preference. Um, but Lord, your will be done. And in verse 17, Naaman said, If not, I ask that you let me give as much, uh, uh, sorry, if not, I ask that you let me, your servant, um, be given as much dirt as two horses can carry, for your servants will not give burnt offerings or animals to, on the altar to worship any other gods. I will only give gifts to the Lord. And here Naaman declares, I'm not going to give gifts to any other gods anymore. And I hear, eh? Glory, hallelujah, amen. He says, I'm only going to worship your God. And all the brethren, yes, God, glory, hallelujah, amen. And it's the Americans, amen. Ha, hallelujah. And then they, 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 they are so excited. I, this, this is beautiful. How many of you realize that this is good? This is fantastic. If only the, the, the story stopped here, that would be fantastic because I can get a hallelujah at this moment, but then things get complicated. How many of us know that just after glory hallelujah, generally things get complicated? After your breakthrough, you have a meltdown or a breakdown. After your, this success, you go into another testimony. It's just so we can build more glories and more testimonies after this. But here we have this glory, hallelujah, amen, and then the complication of what follows. In verse 18, But may the Lord forgive your servant for this. My king goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there. He rests on my arm and I put my face on the ground. When I put my face on the ground in the house of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant. And I get like, dude, like really, you have just declared that I have no God but your God, that I will not offer any other sacrifice to any other inferior God. There is only one God, the true God, and he's the only one I will worship. Glory, hallelujah, amen. But when my king goes into his fake place of worship, is it okay if I go in with him? Is it okay if I bow down at the same altar that he bows down to? May I bow down so low that I'm bowing down lower than the king because he's going to put his head on me. So Lord, I accept that there's only one God and it's only you and I will bow down to no other. But please forgive me because when I go home, is it okay if I just go into with my king and bow down with him and go into his hovel of worship, etc. And uh uh this is where things get complicated. Stu, my brew, I am so happy to be a part of real life. I will do anything for real life. I will come to church every Sunday morning except, do you mind if I don't come if I get a better invitation for lunch? 
you, I'm willing to give all my finances to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I go, glory, hallelujah. And the person says, but that only happened when I bought myself my new Merc. Can, can it only be, I'll give everything, small print, of the absolute excess that I have in April after tax season? You know? Oh, that's your accountants. They're watching. <laughs> Pay up first, Ali. Tax before God. So, and, and so things get, get, get complicated. Is it okay if I do, do these things? Will God allow me to do this? And now Elijah's response for me is baffling. Because Elijah says, Jim, go in peace. So Naaman went away from him. I don't know whether I would say to somebody, go in peace. I say, actually, no, dude. Go see John. Go and have good teaching. Go and have come, come and sit with me. How, how on earth can you do that? I, you, you double-minded person, you. Like, really? You give and take away. But the reality is, friends, we've got to change the way that we think. Some people will think of this as total disobedience and idolatry. How can you go into a culture that is ungodly, an environment that's ungodly, a people group that is ungodly? How can you go into an area where somebody else worships what you do not worship and you get seen in that place? And so I think that as believers, we get so influenced by this. When Elijah says, go in peace, I think the Hebrew for that means, hey, dude, go and figure it out for yourself. Well, that's my, my thing, because that's my get out of jail free card. Hey, dude, I don't know. It's between you and God. But I'm convinced that the church that is following Jesus has to go into more radical places than they've ever gone before. I think that the believers of Jesus must go to places that the church has not gone before. We must become far more fluid and far less fearful. We must become more resilient and less religious. We must become more compassionate and less controlling. I love Real Life Church. It is the least controlling church that I know on the face of the planet. I honestly am convinced it's the best church on the face of the planet. Absolutely. Thank you. You all can have a couple of extra biscuits. Because we need to be more secure and less suspicious. And the reality is the more we control, the easier it is. But there is no God or kingdom in control. That's religion. Everything in our religious bones wants to control Naaman's journey and tell him what to do, what church to go to, what home group to go to, how to behave, how to do things. But we have no idea what God is up to in that person's life. And so friends, let's take our hands off judging people and focus on loving people. Maybe God wants him to go back and refuse to go in with the king and get martyred that night and be in heaven the next day. Maybe that's what God wants. But the reality is I don't know and I'm not God. But maybe God wanted to heal Naaman. So this servant girl is kidnapped, has a testimony, says to her, made, uh, the wife, 
go get healed. He goes, he goes through all of those things. He gets healed. Why would he get healed if it was just to go back and get executed? Be martyred? Whatever. So I think possibly a better alternative is that God says, I'm going to provide a way for you to get radically healed in a culture and environment and situation and circumstance that is so foreign to you that everybody will know what's happened. And then you're going to come back as a man of God in government in an enemy nation so that you can have influence where up until now the church has zero influence. I don't know if an entire nation did not turn to Jesus because of this man's faith through his healing and through a young servant girl. Friends, here's the reality. If I'm like the Duchess of Sussex, I've got 30 seconds on Oprah to, to make a, a, a quick comment for the whole world to know. This is it. Religion wants to draw lines, but love wants to cross over lines. Religion draws lines. Religion puts you in a box. Religion says you can do this and you can't do that. And everything of God and everything of love says, I want you to go over those lines. For God so loved the world. I'm not talking about insipid. I'm not talking about being stupid. Sometimes we just need to cast out the spirit of stupidity from too many people. I'm not saying we don't have the hard conversations. I'm not saying that we don't have conviction. But when people come to Jesus, there needs to be a, dis, uh, there needs to be a difference between evangelism and discipleship. And so we go to wherever we can to love people. And then discipleship, we come together to hold one another to count, to bring out the best in one another. If you're going to love the world like Jesus did, I think we should do things a whole lot differently. I think we should cross over a couple of lines. How many of you want to do lines with me? I mean, how many of you want to cross over lines with me? Like, really? So that all of you who didn't put up your hand on the, first, on the first sentence, I want you to have a little chat with you after coffee afterwards. But friends, the, I think the crux of the matter is that Elijah is trusting Naaman to God and trusting God to Naaman. How different would our love be for people if we could trust them to God? And take our grubby little hands off them sometimes. Our religious agenda and control is just a little way of saying, actually, God, I don't trust you. Let me fix them. Let me heal them. That's one of the core values of, of Real Life Church is that we call to love people, not to change them. Let God change them and, we, and we'll love them. But I think too many people get it the wrong way around. If only God would love them. <laughs> I'm happy to change them. But the reality is, if I'm going to change somebody, the, 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 the possibility is I will change them into my way. I'll change them how I think they should be. I'll give them what I think, what I believe, what they should do, and things like that. And says, so actually, Lord, won't you change them into your image? 
because you changing them into your image is probably far better than me changing them into mine. No, this is when you were all supposed to disagree. Go, Stu, your image is good. I'm okay with it. I'm only joking. And there's something so profound about receiving people from God and releasing people to God. Having our hands open. Loving people unconditionally. Can we receive the world that God is bringing to us? And again, it's not just the nice people. It's all the people that God brings, us to, brings to us and love them and release them back to God. Can we be so secure that God is far better at fathering people than we are? God is probably a better discipler than I am. And He probably loves people more than Joan does. Can we be secure enough to love people extravagantly and trust God in their journey. I don't have to fix you. I don't even have to get you to church. I don't have an agenda. I really battle with that one. Uh, I'm not too faced whether people come to church or not. But for me, not having an agenda and just loving people unconditionally. Like I go out and, and connect with a whole lot of people that are not part of real life and not, some that are not part of kingdom. And often the question is, I've no idea why you like me. I've no idea why you choose to spend time with me. I had it this week, two or three times. Why on earth are you giving up time to spend with me? And everyone expects an agenda. Can I love people without having an agenda? Can I just love you without having to change you, to fix you, to mend you, to making sure your name ends up on our community list? We need to become better at walking with people, even if they are walking in the opposite direction. We shared that a couple of weeks ago. Am I prepared to walk with somebody who's walking away from God? I suggest that most believers don't. I'll walk with you as long as we're going to end up in church. But if we, if we walk into Monte Cassino, you're on your own. Actually, not all the time. But am I willing to walk with somebody away from God with the hope that at some stage they're going to turn around and walk back to God? Or do I just give up on them and go, actually, you walk in that direction, but me and my Jesus, we're going in this direction. God wants to lead the church far beyond their buildings. God is taking the church to places where we are uncomfortable and we've never gone before. Buzz Lightyear will go, infinity beyond, and Star Wars or Star Trek. Um, yeah, that's Toy Story. What's the other one? Uh, there's a, there's a, a quote from, um, uh, to, the, to the ends of the world, beyond, going out there, to the nations, to the galaxies, the galaxies are beyond. Oh, like really, guys? And so friends, my encouragement I don't want this to be a teaching and I don't want it to be a preaching. Musos, won't you come in and join me, please? <coughs> but this is neither a teaching nor a preaching. It's a journey. And we get to journey together, to do life together, to do kingdom together, so that we can go to galaxies beyond 
We can go to where no believer has been before, where churches are fearful to go. We're not intimidated by sin, fear, control, but we are deeply in love with Jesus. Somebody said earlier on that there is a there's almost an entrepreneurial spirit. There's an entrepreneurial something that's happening in the kingdom of God where we are going to not reinvent, but we are going to create new ways of doing everything that we know. New ways of outreach, new ways of family, new ways of loving people, new ways of worship, where we worship, how we worship, who we love, how we love, where we can honestly love the prostitutes as if they're our wives. It's tough. That's where Holy Spirit is leading us. And so this morning I'm wanting to encourage you that as we stand and we worship, we just make ourselves vulnerable. And we get to minister to folk. But I'm wanting us to leave here this morning. Have you made a decision and a commitment? To stay as I am for the rest of my life. Or change to Holy Spirit. Allow Holy Spirit in. Lord, I'm prepared and willing to go to the Valley of the Dry Bones. I'm prepared to go to Nineveh, where everything about Nineveh makes my body cringe. I'm prepared to go to where church is uncomfortable. I'm prepared to go to where I am uncomfortable. Lord, when I say I give you my all, I mean it. But I battle with it. So, Lord, won't you help me? Don't say something you don't mean. Lord, I'm willing to give you my all, but I find it really difficult. So, let's go through a journey of getting there. Let's rather be honest. Lord, when we sing, I give you my all. Even if you want to cross your fingers, and, but just be honest with God. Lord, I'm giving you my all as a prophetic intent of my destination. But at the moment, my journey is one of wrestling through this. I said last week, there are people I don't like and there's people I don't love. It would be easy for me if God didn't love everybody because then I don't have to love everyone. But Lord, my commitment is take me on a journey and put people around me who will help me to love everyone. Lord, let me become more like Jesus. I choose to be led I know I have a calling and you'll bring people to my doorstep. May your kingdom come. Let's stand. Thank you for listening. 